We now turn to the Word of God. We're going to read Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, and our text is verses 6 and 7. So Colossians 2, verses 1 through 7. Words of the Apostle Paul, the Word of God. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am present in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. This is the word of the Lord. So this evening we consider Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. We believe in preaching systematically through books of the Bible because we believe that in the Bible God speaks to us, and that, of course, makes it worthy of our most careful attention. The Bible is our most important connection to God himself, because in it God reveals to us the most important things that we can possibly know, because in it God reveals himself and his purposes to us, and because in it God relates to us person to person by speaking to us in his word. The Bible teaches the meaning of life. The Bible teaches the way of salvation from sin. The Bible teaches the only way to live that is good and true and beautiful. From the Bible, we understand reality as it truly is. And a huge part of that reality is the hope of eternal life with God beyond the struggles of this life. Psalm 119, 103 says, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Psalm 119.162 says, I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. Well, with this in mind, we turn uh, to one little part of this precious communication from God. Colossians 2, 6, and 7, where the apostle writes, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. In the previous verses, Paul has been stressing how precious this message, his message of the good news of Jesus Christ is, And he's been stressing the absolute necessity of believing that message, living life according to it, and rejecting any teaching that in any way contradicts 
that message. There have always been false teachers on the fringes of the church, but even at the center sometimes of the visible church, at least. False teachers who have brought messages which have either added to or taken away, subtracted from the message that God revealed through the prophets and the apostles. Exposing false teachers and warning against them is a prominent theme in the whole Bible. All those books and letters that together make up the word of God. God's truth builds us up. But false teaching is destructive and deadly for life and godliness. In Paul's letter to the Colossians, God gives the church a glorious summary and exposition of the (coughs) authentic good news in Christ, which is intended to strengthen the people of God, to resist false teaching and to thrive by believing, embracing, internalizing, and obeying the truth as it is in Jesus. The verses that we're going to look at this evening actually summarize the thrust of the whole letter. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. These verses give a, a wonderful summary of the Christian life. And one of the things that they make clear is how central Jesus Christ is both to the beginning and the continuation of the Christian life. The word therefore at the beginning of the sentence refers back to to everything that Paul has been saying to this point, and particularly we can see connection back to verse 4 of this same chapter. There he says, uh, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. That's verse 4. And then our text continues. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. What Paul is saying here is that, what he's saying first of all, rather, is that the Colossians should not stray from the message which they had received from Epaphras. Epaphras was the missionary who had first preached the gospel to them. And in this epistle, Paul has been affirming and elaborating on that same message. The phrase, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, means in the first place, receiving the genuine, inspired, apostolic message, believing it, embracing it, and submitting to it. The message is a call to receive, to recognize Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The message is an offer of forgiveness and a call to submission to Jesus Christ as Lord. Receiving Christ Jesus the Lord in the first place then means receiving the true message that Paul and the other divinely authorized apostles preached. You see, Paul uses that term received 
in that way more often in his writings. And one very clear and helpful example is 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2. And there Paul writes, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and then he continues, in which you stand, by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you. These words from 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2, they capture really perfectly the point that Paul is making in our text. But that does not exhaust the point that Paul is making here when he says, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord. Certainly, he's receiving, he's referring to receiving the message, but the particular way that he puts it here is very significant. Paul is also saying here that by receiving the authentic gospel message, believers received Christ Jesus the Lord himself. The glorious thing about the good news that Paul proclaimed is that through that message, Jesus Christ presents himself to us to be received as a Savior and as our Lord. The gospel that Paul preached, because it was inspired by God, is so much more than any old message. It's a supernatural message because it is the word of God. And so it does things that no other message can do. That's why it's so important to stick to the real thing. Any human additions or subtractions seriously distort the message. The authentic, inspired message is a miracle, a divine word, which is living and creative. And in that glorious, supernatural, divine gospel, God presents the divine human person who is Jesus Christ the Lord. And so the response to the message is either a receiving or a rejecting of Jesus Christ himself. In the supernatural gospel message, Jesus Christ is presented to us both as the Lord to whom we must submit and the Savior in whom we must trust. When we receive the gospel, we receive Christ Jesus the Lord. We receive Christ as the promised Messiah who brought and is bringing the kingdom of God. We receive Jesus as the one who came to save his people from their sins, we receive the Lord as our Lord and as the Lord of all. It's vital that we understand that in receiving the gospel, we receive Jesus himself, which means we are brought into this multifaceted relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And what this teaches us is that there is an inseparable connection between Jesus and the gifts of salvation, the gifts of forgiveness and renewal and fullness of life. We do not just receive salvation, we receive a Savior. And because we have been created to live in 
relationship with God. There is no salvation without that relationship. Salvation is all about the relationship with God through Jesus Christ. The purpose of, of, of salvation is to restore the relationship. The state of salvation is the relationship with God. And so in terms of this text, we receive not some, some impersonal gift, but Jesus himself, motivated by life, by, by love. He gave his life for us. And then on the basis of his resurrection from the dead, he gives his life to us. He gives himself to us so that he is our Lord and our Savior. The good news is not only supernatural, it is also intensely personal. It's not just a gift we receive. It comes in the form of a relationship. And we see this in many ways in which Jesus speaks of himself. One instance is how he speaks of himself as the Lord Shepherd. As the great shepherd in John 10 verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus does not just give a gift. He gives himself in loving sacrifice. And that's what Paul is stressing when he says that the Colossians received Jesus Christ the Lord. To receive the message is to receive Jesus himself as our Savior and as our Lord, as our Savior, Jesus grants his righteousness and his life. And that is an ongoing reality. There is the one-time gift of reconciliation with God. But we, re- we live the rest of our life and the rest of eternity in the reality of that gift. There's also the ongoing reality of Jesus gradually forming us, reforming us, transforming us into his image and protecting us from our enemies. And so Jesus being our savior is an ongoing reality and relationship. And so it is with Jesus being our Lord. It's an ongoing relationship of him ruling us and us submitting to his lordship and living under his authority with joy and thanksgiving. This is a beautiful thing. It's a personal thing. It's an ongoing relationship of love. And that's what it means to receive Jesus, uh, Christ Jesus the Lord. And now what Paul is urging here is that the Colossians continue as they have begun. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. The point he is making here is a very important one. The point he is making is that the ongoing life of Jesus, with Jesus, is a continuation of the beginning of life with Jesus. Paul is urging the Colossians to continue as they have begun. Again, the initial reference is to sticking to the same message over against the false teachers. But also, again, there is a profound meaning here 
for the very nature of the Christian life. What it means is that the ongoing Christian life is nothing more than the continuation of the beginning of the Christian life. When we are first saved, we believe in Jesus in order to be right with God. As we continue in the Christian life, we continue to believe in Jesus in order to be right with God. When we are first saved, we submit to Christ in repentance. As we continue the Christian life, we continue submitting to Christ in repentance. Certainly, we make progress as we mature as Christians, but we never get beyond depend receiving Christ Jesus the Lord the ongoing relate or the relationship <clears throat> that is established when we receive Christ Jesus the Lord is an ongoing relationship and so other than growth in grace over time there's no difference really between the beginning and the continuation of the Christian life and that's what Paul is saying here when he says As you receive Christ Jesus, so walk in him. Continue as you began. And what this means is that we never get beyond what brought us to Christ in the first place. We continue to need forgiveness. We continue to need his power to enable us to repent and to grow in obedience. You know, in among human families, as a baby grows toward adulthood, it grows away from its parent towards independence. But that does not happen in our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's true that we do not stay babies. It's true that we grow, that we mature as believers, but we never move away from Jesus in independence. What we needed from Jesus when we first received him, we continue to need. We continue to trust in him as our Savior. We continue to submit to him as our Lord. We continue to live by grace. We continue to relate to him as our Savior and as our Lord. Paul continues here, walk in him we walk in him as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord so walk in him Paul often uses the language of believers being in Christ it's a central concept in his understanding of our relationship to Jesus Christ we are in Christ it's hard For us to imagine what it means to be in another person. We need to understand that Paul needed to use language in creative ways in order to express ideas that are beyond our normal human experience. Jesus is God and he can take us into a relationship with himself which is beyond our regular human experience experience. And so believers are in Christ. Christ and his people are one body in some mysterious way. And so it's possible to be in Christ. It means that we are one with him in a very profound way. We're connected to him in a very profound way. We're 
one with him in that he represents us before God so that his righteousness is our righteousness. We are one with him in this, that his life is in us so that we are strengthened to live the life that he's calling us to live. This part happens, his life being in us happens through the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit of Christ who dwells in us. And that is part of what it means to be in Christ. There's mystery here. But we can understand enough of what it means to understand the blessings of being in Christ and how dependent we are upon Christ. Now, continuing, the language that Paul uses in verse 7 gives us some, some other ways to imagine, to picture what is meant, what it's meant to be in Christ. It, it means being rooted in him. As you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted in him. Tree is rooted in the ground. It draws its nutrients from the ground. Its life is sustained by its rootedness in the ground. Its growth happens through the nutrients that it draws from the soil. And also it is kept from blowing down in storms by its rootedness in the ground. This is a picture of a believer in relation to Christ. We grow through our rootedness in him. Significant that the term rooted is passive. We do not root ourselves. God plants us in Christ. But we are then called to draw our sustenance from Christ as we walk in him. We're called to grow by means of the nutrients that we draw from Christ. What does that look like? Looks like all the ways that we are sustained and fed by our connectedness to Christ. It looks like uh, realizing and being aware of the fact that the life of Christ is working in us through his spirit so that we can grow toward Christ's likeness through his supernatural power that is at work in us. It looks like the nurture that we receive through the word of God and through the sacraments and through prayer. Now we can get more specific. Being rooted in Christ involves our thoughts. We are not just, we are not trees that just grow up because we are trees. Our growth in Christ is not like the growth of our bodies that as far as we are concerned just happens. We're involved in our growth because God has given us minds and wills and hearts. And that means that our growth is related to our thoughts. It's related to what we do with our minds. And here the point is that we grow through through our decisions, through increasing in our love for Christ. We grow through things like encouragement and hope and zeal. And these things come through thinking of Christ. They come through speaking to Christ and listening to him. In practical terms, being rooted in Christ involves our minds dwelling on Christ 
and what he has done for us and what he provides for us and what he desires for us so that our love for him grows, so that we are encouraged, so that our hearts energize us to do things that are pleasing to Christ. And key to all that is the grace of Christ in forgiveness and acceptance, growth in obedience and growth in imitation of Christ is rooted in the joy and the peace that we feel because of God's loving embrace on the basis of what Christ has done for us. This is really the key to everything. And it's at the heart of what it means to be rooted in him, at least from our perspective. It is in him that we are forgiven. It is in him that we have acceptance with God. It is in him that God is pleased with us, that he delights in us and that we live in the sunshine of his favor. And so walking in Christ, rooted in him, means that we live our lives out of the fullness of Christ and what he has done for us. This involves certainly the objective connection to Christ through his spirit, which is how his life comes to us and strengthens us. But it also involves our subjective connection to Christ that comes from thinking of him as he reveals himself to us in his word. The objective connection to Christ by which his life empowers us is what we depend upon as we go forward. The subjective connection to Christ is our dwelling on his glory and his loveliness and his love and all the wonderful blessings of his salvation. And from that comes love and encouragement and enthusiasm and joy that energizes us to live the life that Christ is calling us to live. And that's why it's so important for us not only to read the Word of God, but to dwell on it, to savor it, to immerse our hearts in the ideas and the images and the insights that nurture our love for Christ and our delight in Christ and our desire to please him. Paul next gives us another metaphor to think about. As you have received, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, built up in him. Here we have another way to think of what it means to be in Christ. We walk in him, built up in him. And again, we have the, the familiar relationship between what God does and what we do. We walk in Christ while we are built up in him. We walk, God builds. The imagery of building is a common one in the New Testament for the Christian life. It is an image that incorporates our connectedness to other believers. It is an image of the church. The building of a building involves connecting many parts together. Church is is compared to a building which God is building. And this imagery involves pieces that are fit together to become one. The building of the church involves individuals growing in the context of togetherness. Ephesians 2 20 and 21 gives a fuller picture, a fuller description of this picture. 
The people of God together are, quote, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus, or Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom, in Christ, the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Then verse 22, in him, Christ, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So the Christian life is pictured as believers together through their connection to Christ being built up into a holy temple where God dwells by his spirit. So the Christian life is not just about individual growth in holiness and love and Christ-likeness. It is also and always about the growth of the church in size as new members are added to it, but also in collective growth in holiness and love and Christ-likeness. This emphasizes the fact that we grow together. It emphasizes the fact that life in Christ is about more than ourselves. It is about building a beautiful building as a place for God to dwell. And this verse emphasizes that the building of this building happens in Christ. Paul also mentions being established in the faith in the same breath. The Colossians are being called to walk in Jesus, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. Being established is what happens when a tree has deep roots and when a building has a solid foundation. The Psalms express this idea when they say numerous times, that those who trust in the Lord shall not be moved. Psalm 125, 1. Those who trust in the Lord are like Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. Mount Zion is established. Jesus, in the little parable of the wise man who built his house on the rock, and the foolish man who built his house on the sand, in that parable the wise man was established, because he had a good foundation of doing the words of Christ. The foolish man was not established because he did not hear and do the words of Christ, and so his house came tumbling down when the rains came down and the floods came up. Paul is saying that the Christian life of walking in Christ, being rooted and built up in him, goes together with being established in the faith. Being established in the faith means not being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. It means standing firm in the face of temptations and the allurements of the world. It means not being moved when the earth gives way and the mountains are moved to the heart of the sea. Living the Christian life has its challenges. We can be unstable in our embrace of God's truth because we are not willing to endure sound sound teaching but have itching ears so that we accumulate to for ourselves teachers to suit our own passions. As Paul warns in 2 Timothy 4, 3, we can be buffeted by the storms of life and be blown over if we are not deeply rooted in Christ. 
by what Paul has been saying in this verse. That's the way, what Paul has been saying in this verse is the way to be established in the faith. The faith that they had been taught. The faith that is expressed in apostolic teaching. The way to be established in the faith is to walk in Christ, rooted in him and being built up in him. And finally, he adds abounding in thanksgiving, receiving Christ Jesus the Lord and so walking in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you are taught, goes together with abounding in thanksgiving. The relationship with Jesus Christ the Lord that is described in these verses is so wonderful that abounding in thanksgiving describes the life that we are called to live. We are to walk in Christ abounding in thanksgiving. This is part of our calling as those who have received Christ Jesus the Lord and who continue to walk in him. The language of abounding in thanksgiving highlights the incredible blessedness that belongs to having Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. Thanksgiving acknowledges good gifts. Thanksgiving is a response to someone who has given us something that is valuable and precious and appreciated. The thanksgiving that Paul is urging here is the appropriate response for the greatest possible good that can ever be received. There are no words to adequately describe the value of what we receive when we receive Christ Jesus the Lord. The relationship with Jesus that these verses are about, what the gospel is about, that is more precious than any other possible thing in the world. <clears throat> Jesus uh, himself expresses this idea in a little parable uh, of the pearl of great price. In Matthew 13, 45 and 46, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, who on finding the one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. There's nothing more precious, nothing more valuable than the kingdom of heaven. And having the kingdom of heaven is the same essentially as receiving Christ Jesus as Lord. It means a loving relationship with Christ. It means belonging to him. It means the forgiveness of our sins. It means the satisfaction of our souls. It means being delivered from death. It means fullness of life. It means a glorious purpose. It means peace and joy in our relationship with God in Christ and with the people of God, we do not experience all the joys and perfection in this life, but we do experience a beginning and the promise of perfection in our eternal home. The reason that Paul includes abounding in thanksgiving in the Christian life is that there is so much to be thankful for. That's what we have to understand. The reason there is so much emphasis on thanksgiving in the Bible is that there is so much to be thankful for. And we need to see that. We need to notice. 
we need to remember. We need to take the time to dwell upon how blessed we are in our relationship with Christ. It's so easy for us to take it for granted. And so we need to be deliberate about bringing to mind the riches that we have in our relationship with Christ so that we cannot help but abound in thanksgiving. Let's pray. Oh Lord, what a gospel. What a glorious good news in the message, the inspired message of the apostles and the prophets. A message that presents Jesus Christ to us to be received, to be embraced as Savior and Lord. We thank you for the personal nature of that message. We thank you for the profoundness of being in him and for the the preciousness of that truth. And even though it's difficult to picture, yet we can we can understand to some extent how being in Christ, being connected to him, being one with him enables us to receive all that we need from him. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to value our relationship with Christ so that we do abound in thanksgiving. Give us the grace to think, to think deeply, to think slowly and to dwell upon all the riches that you provide for us in your word of of the many, many facets of the glory of our Savior. Keep us from just hurrying through our Bible reading and enable us to take the time to reflect, to think deeply, to allow the glorious truths to sink into our consciousness, to shape our thoughts and our emotions and our values and our priorities. We thank you for the wonder of the fact that we are related to this glorious God-man, that he is our Savior and our Lord. Help us to do what this passage is calling us to do. As we have received him, so we continue to walk in him, abounding with thanksgiving. Amen.